My name is Dario Hasenstab. I have a degree in international affairs, and I'm here with Balder Hagritz, a former university professor of mine, as well as an IR consultant. And together, we're bursting the Western bubble. Today, we will analyze the phenomenon of Jordan Peterson through the lens of the Western bubble, because while Western societies have many strengths and significant weaknesses, in order to analyze these, we use the concept of the Western bubble. If you would like to know more about this concept, how this podcast started, or who we are, make sure to listen to our introduction episode. Hi, Balder. Um, why are we speaking about this topic today? Why are we speaking about the phenomenon of Jordan Peterson? Hello, Dario. Well, that is the question, isn't it? Because we were kind of doubting whether we actually wanted to give so much space to Jordan Peterson. But we are treating him here as a case study for a broader phenomenon. Um, so the phenomenon of Jordan Peterson is really a phenomenon of... Western society looking for an identity, things very quickly changing both internationally as well as internally, domestically, and large groups of people being lost in who they are and what they want to be, where society has to go, who we want to be from a European perspective, from a North American perspective. And Jordan Peterson is one of those many people who have made a career out of filling the emotional void that a lot of people in the West are feeling because of this lack of certainty, this lack of direction. So in many ways, we're talking about Jordan Peterson today as a case study for um, intellectuals and pseudo-intellectuals filling a void that exists because of the loss of Western identity. And what are the facts? Jordan Peterson is a Canadian psychologist, professor and public intellectual. He gained significant public attention for his views on political correctness free speech, gender, and identity politics. Peterson rose to prominence in 2016 when he opposed proposed legislation in Canada known as Bill C-16, which aimed to add gender identity and gender expression to the list of protected grounds under the Canadian Human Rights Act. Peterson has taught psychology at the University of Toronto and has published research in the field. He has had considerable success as a speaker on social media and conferences with large groups of active supporters. What is the bubble? So when we're talking about the bubble with this, and particularly Jordan Peterson as a case study, uh, as you hinted at already uh, before I read out the fact sheet, the West is currently experiencing an identity crisis. I think it's fair to say that. And society doesn't really know where to go, particularly young men or men in general who might feel a little bit lost in a fast-changing world, um, globalization, all of that. Right, because these young men and men in general were the ones that always had the relatively comfortable patriarchal structure to rely on. That doesn't mean that every man has had it easy in life, of course, quite the opposite. Quite, I wouldn't at all want to suggest that, but it is clear that a important aspect of human civilization over the past 10,000 years, and certainly Western civilization over the past 2,000 years, has been patriarchal, has been focused on male power structures, politically, culturally, economically, etc. And uh, despite the hardship that by far most men faced throughout history, they could always rely on that. It gave them a certain clear identity about what it is to be a man. In the 20th century, moving towards the utopian promised land of the West, again, 
uh, end of history, Fukuyama, we've spoken about him, uh, this was changing, and rightfully so, because of course these patriarchal structures are not conducive to a just and, and long-term sustainable society. It, it excludes half of the population from important uh, positions, from important decision-making processes, and it is um, not conducive to a society that is in line with liberal democratic values. You cannot have a, a true democracy while essentially excluding women from that democratic process, as happened in ancient Greece, for example, ancient Athens. So over the, in the 20th century, you see this change. You see this changing inner identity of what it means to be Western, um, emancipation movement, also then the civil rights movement, specifically in the United States, of course. You see groups that have been oppressed or at least have not had the space to express themselves like those white men um, now claiming, rightfully so, their place within society. And that makes sense to, I would argue, any reasonable human being um, until in the 21st century all of a sudden the Western dream is shattered. Uh, all of a sudden it turns out that the West is not moving forward anymore but has stagnated and nobody knows anymore where the West will end up in the next 50, 100 years. We no longer have that purpose. And all of a sudden this large group of men that are stressed and frustrated by the lack of purpose of their society also look at their own lives and say, hang on, before everything was better, we had this we had this direction that we're moving into. Now we're not moving into that direction. Who am I going to blame? I'm going to blame those groups that demand the change, the emancipation, the women's movement, the civil rights movement. I'm going to put my blame, the blame on the changing power structures that exist within society. And that's where people like Jordan Peterson comes in and try to give a pseudo-intellectual justification for that kind of intuitive behavior among men. This idea of, hey, we're not happy with life, we're not happy how things are going. In the past, patriarchy solved the issue. Let's, uh, let's go back to that. Let's go back to a magical world where everything was better and clearer and we could all dream about a better tomorrow. And how does this play into the Western bubble? I mean, because it very much sounds like, well, items that we've discussed in the past, where there are no longer these intellectual conversations going on of where do we want to take the West, where do we want to take society as a whole. And now it seems like you have these conversations that are either talking about, oh, we're still great, let's go back to the great years, so to, well, in the Western bubble, this would be anything prior to the 1990s. Um, so how does this fit into the Western bubble conversation that we are usually having? Well, any society, I would argue, without a clear direction forward is in trouble, right? If you don't know what you're moving towards, um, you are moving backwards. And so the West is based, the Western bubble is based on this idea of permanent progress towards a utopian future where everyone will be liberal, democratic and free according to, I don't know, North American or European standards, whatever it is. And... Now, in the 21st century, where that progress is no longer visible, people start feeling threatened. People start becoming afraid. It's, it's a little bit like the Roman Empire. As long as the Roman Empire was expanding, was aggressively conquering territory, 
Romans felt secure about themselves. And internally, uh, Roman citizens were working towards a better future because they were confident about the expansion of their empire in the same way that the Western world over the course of the 20th century was confident in their expansion towards a better tomorrow and therefore internally groups were not feeling threatened because they were looking towards that path. Without that path, the groups that are most feeling threatened are the groups that felt most comfortable in the past. And who are they? The dominant male figure, the, the, the ones at the top of the patriarchy, at the patriarchal structures, the hierarchical power games that, that have existed for so long. And they are now uh, saying, hang on, we had this great project, a Western project, which is amazing, which is about freedom and democracy, and it's all being ruin ruined by the woke Illuminati or whoever is responsible according to this discourse. So this Western dream that we have, that is everything that's good about the world, is now being is now being undermined by these new kinds of dynamics, by uh, identity politics and all that kind of thing. And is that happening? So this utopian dream, is that being undermined? Well, the utopian dream is certainly in trouble. Um, Western society no longer is moving forward. Of course, the reason is not so much uh, the fact that you've got uh, now identity politics. I would say identity politics, whatever that means, is a symptom of a society that no longer knows who it is, that is, that is trying to figure out who, who it wants to be. Obviously, the Western dream, the Western utopia, um, is not being undermined by the civil rights movement, hasn't been undermined by the women's uh, movement. Uh, those have been dynamics that are not responsible for the problems we see today. The problem of Western society is that it probably made a claim about itself that was never sustainable. It never had this automatic right towards an end of history. The West never had the magic formula that would lead to a sustainable future for the whole of humankind. That requires work, that kind of future, that requires adjustments, that requires um, deep analysis and then good policy making. There is no automatic path. That has nothing to do with the groups that these angry white men are lashing out against. Exactly, because there's a requirement for good analysis and intellectual conversations to decide where are we going to take society overall. And I think what is very telling of, of the West and the type of conversations that are missing in the West is the fact that we have to talk about Jordan Peterson here, is that if you right now ask people on the street who are the main intellectuals carrying the conversation of where should the West go, I don't know whether people will, will be able to bring up any name in general, but I think Jordan Peterson can be considered one of the main quote-unquote intellectuals out there. And I mean, that's basically what, what the, this case study today is about, is that there is a need, a very important need for having a conversation with Western society. And the conversation that is happening is the one by Jordan Peterson on male history and what what men need to do to take back their place in, in society and how earlier everything was better. Yes, he is saying, I will take you back and you now have to stand up for your rights and your natural dominance over 
um, over the rest of society. And as a result, the conversations are the absolutely the wrong types of conversations to, to have. They are based on pseudo-intellectualism. This is we, we really had a conversation about do we actually want to give space to Jordan Peterson? Be, but I think we should because of this example that he provides for us. But these are conversations that are actually not truly intellectual. They're not rigorous at a logical, rational level. They are intuitive. And very often I get a sense listening to Jordan Peterson that I'm listening to a therapy session of this white man who feels very upset with himself and with the rest of the world because somehow he feels like a loser now because he's not as strong as his ancestors. You know, that those are... That's interesting to observe, but those are not the conversations that Western society should have if they're interested in actually strengthening their model and making sure that there's a sustainable, prosperous path in the future to take. And the way we will have this conversation about Jordan Peterson is, and we've done this in the past, is we will be experimenting uh, a little bit with sound bites, and we will also be commenting um, on some of the things that uh, that he's saying. And one thing that's important for us to mention is that Jordan Peterson has a tendency to talk for very long and to use a lot of words, a lot of complicated words, to say a lot of nothing. Um, and we do not want to analyze 30 minutes of Jordan Peterson speaking on one and the same issue. So obviously we picked parts from uh, interviews, we picked parts from podcast appearances uh, from him, and obviously we're taking parts that are where he's basically trying to get his point across in two minutes, and we're going to comment on these two minutes. However, uh, for transparency reasons, we will obviously put uh, the links to the videos we're watching in there so you can watch them in their entirety, uh, really just for transparency reasons. But yeah, we are most likely uh, we are mostly going to comment uh, just on two minutes uh, at a time from Jordan Peterson. And we're starting with uh, one of his appearances on the Joe Rogan podcast, which I assume is fairly known. I think it's the biggest podcast actually out there uh, with, a, with a massive... Uh, well, viewership and, and listener audience. Um, and this is from six years ago, and this is where Jordan Peterson is having a conversation with Joe Rogan on the male dominance hierarchy. And uh, yeah, so let's uh, start listening to it here, and we will be interrupting it throughout, uh, throughout the recording and uh, comment on them. The dominance hierarchy is a mechanism that selects heroes and then breeds them. And so then we watch that for six million years. We start to understand what it means to be the hero. We start to tell stories about that. And so then not only are we genetically aiming at that with the dominance hierarchy as a selection mechanism mediated by female choice, but our stories are trying to push us in that direction. And so then we say, well, look, that person's admirable. We tell a story about him. And we say, this person is admirable. We tell a story about him. And this person is admirable. And at the same time, we talk about the people who aren't admirable. And then we start having admirable and non-admirable as categories. And out of that, you get something like good and evil. And then you can start to imagine the perfect person. That would be not only so, it would be you take 10 admirable people and you pull out someone who's meta-admirable. And that's a hero. That becomes a religious figure across time. That becomes a savior, a messiah across time as we conceptualize what the ideal person is. So a quick pause here. And what's interesting is that here he's creating the image of history selecting out the heroes, the admirable people, as the ones that we build 
our or organizational structures, our society around, right? And we look at those who have been successful politically, economically, whatever, and we say, you are admirable. How did you get there? And we put you on a pedestal. You become the hero versus the villains, the losers of society. What is interesting about that is who are the those self-proclaimed heroes by Jordan Peterson? Obviously, the white male who has been so dominant in the West over the past two, three thousand years. Um, and, and so he's already setting himself up to basically say, here we've got a person that's admirable that is now being undermined by nefarious groups that want to share in that success. That becomes a religious figure across time. That becomes a savior, a messiah across time as we conceptualize what the ideal person is. And, we, and in the West, here's how we figured it out. We said the ideal person, the ideal man, is the person who tells the truth. And what that means is that's the best way of climbing up any possible dominance hierarchy in the, in the way that's most stable and most lasting. That's, that's the conclusion of Western culture. So in a sense, psychologically, when you're talking about postmodernists and their rejection of these classic male structures, or what they're doing is realizing that they're not going to compete in the, the classic as stated male hierarchy so they're creating their own version of it mm -hmm. sure that's the creative element sure well we 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 asked earlier what's the motivation of these pathological guys who are out there like bolstering up the feminists yeah well you know they don't compete any other way they don't compete they figured out how to compete they compete as allies let's say mm -hmm. very sneaky wow yeah wow sneaky yeah it's it's so interesting. I mean, especially, I mean, obviously at the end, the fact that he calls it so sneaky um, and the fact that they, so, so here in this conversation, you're thinking about a competition between men, I assume for women, um, and that there's the traditional way of being a strong traditional male. And then there is a more modernist way, which hasn't really been defined, hasn't really been pinned down and that simply is competing by being an, an, an ally I, I i mean this is going to be a common theme jordan peterson doesn't make a lot of sense he says a lot of words and there's very little content to it very little to grasp very little to to kind of argue against what is particularly interesting is that he takes as a general rule some things that are broadly vaguely true um, obvious. For example, in this case, the fact that women have found it hard to actually compete in a patriarchal society, um, women find it hard to rise to the top, obviously, within a patriarchal society. So, but then he turns it into some kind of intuitive uh, narrative that is exactly the opposite of that basic truth. So, if you notice that there's a group of people who, who are underrepresented, who find it hard to actually have their voices heard, who are not in positions of political or financial power, then the next step would be, how can we empower them? Why do you want to do that? Because you want the whole society to be as active and dynamic and as creative as possible. But instead, what he does is because then... Because that will drive, because that will drive society forward. And that's one of the underlying strengths of Western society. 
Exactly. That's the whole liberal dream. Every individual in society should be able to prosper as long as they take care of themselves and they work. They should be able to do that. So if you have a situation, a patriarchal situation, where 50%, and in reality it's more because it was only the white male, so let's say 70% of the population is not... Um, capable of getting to the top, you've got a problem as a society and you want to deal with that. Instead, though, what he does in this clip and in other many other um, clips as well, is he turns that into everything that was successful in the past is now being undermined by the losers who can't be successful. They're not as admirable. They're not as heroic, i.e. anyone who's not that white male heroic figure that we have selected to lead our society and the only way for them to actually somehow compete with that brilliant hero of ours is to wreck the game to um, undermine the pillars of our society the foundations and that is of course a distortion that is not just analytically um, uh, hocus pocus it is it is it is analytical nonsense but it is also morally incredibly dodgy. It is actually starting to put those people who disliked the way things were done in the past that couldn't get to the top in past power structures into a place where they are somehow sneakily, nefariously trying to get their way um, through less than admirable means. And there's a second video that we want to um, comment on. Uh, because it's it's going in a very similar direction. And this is a conversation between Jordan Peterson and Helen Lewis uh, for the British GQ. Um, and this is a, one of those very long interviews uh, that's almost two hours long. Um, where we're going to give you exactly the seconds uh, that we will be listening to. And it's also a conversation about, simply about, yeah, patriarchy and tyrannical patriarchy. That's a term that will come up a lot which I think is the message that you preach as well, right? You have responsibilities. And if you've had, like us, a, right, a lot of advantages in life... civilization as a tyrannical patriarchy. But it's not purely a tyrannical that's patriarchy, for sure. is it? It's purely not. Right. And that's exactly the issue. But why because would you when deal you describe it as a tyrannical anyway? patriarchy, then you make a case that it's purely that. And that's exactly what's ungrateful. That is, that is fascinating, right? Um, so he reacts very aggressively against the idea that the interviewer says this is not purely tyrannical or it's not absolutely tyrannical he says uh he, he he says it's not and then he even uses the word ungrateful anyone who criticizes the west too much who goes against that liberal dream that from his perspective was based on patriarchal pillars he wouldn't call it patriarchal but the male dominated power structures um is somehow ungrateful for everything that we've got in our in our lives, everything that we've established. Because let's face it, we have established a lot of good things um, over the past 300 years in Europe, in North America, of course. And so whenever you criticize that, then somehow you're being ungrateful for those heroes that have made that happen. That is psychologically fascinating to observe. It, it is, again, complete analytical nonsense, but it is fascinating to see that lashing out against different voices. 
But why because would you when deal you describe it as a tyrannical anyway? patriarchy, then you make a case that it's purely that, and that's exactly what's ungrateful. Why it's not purely that at all. Why it is saying that something has elements, elements of this made that the isn't same what's as it being is said. purely that? That isn't what's being said. Merely to define it as a patriarchy implies unidimensionality. Uni, uni and to insist that that's also tyrannical doesn't offer a balanced viewpoint at all. Well, I think that's so, probably where, yeah, I think that's probably where your disagreement comes with this, which is because I do not see it in that way. I do not see that as univariate at all. I see it as one. Then why call many. it a patriarchy? Because it describes an overarching structure. Does it? Yeah. And what if the patriarchy is fundamentally composed of women? Is it still a patriarchy? No, that would be a matriarchy. Would it? So let's say we take a patriarchal structure like yeah. the medical profession, and we fill it primarily with women. Is it then a matriarchal structure? What makes it a patriarchy to begin with? Is it the hierarchical structures? Is it the fact that it's mostly men? This is absolute nonsense. Um, I mean, okay, so I, I know where he's coming from because I, I think I've said this in an episode before that I, uh, during, my, during my time in the United States, I participated in speech and debate. And this is part of the training. It's kind of like, it, this is actually a tactic in speech and debate to kind of take definitions and twist them and twist the words in the mouth of the person you're you're, you're talking to and kind of conflate the meaning of whatever but this this has very little to do with the with the true meaning of patriarchy there's and there's very little attempt to actually create a constructive conversation here right because we can define things in whatever way we like that's a good thing about words they themselves don't have meaning they only they have meaning attached to them right so as long as you and i agree on what we mean with the word patriarchy we can have a conversation about it. but it's important to have a definition that we share that we otherwise we're going to have two different conversations and so because because this happened earlier uh, so when again in the preparation for this episode because for me patriarchy is still very much that uh, you know that notion of you have a small town and there's usually through family ties there is a very strong male who is seen as the provider and therefore involved in all the decisions and then basically this descends down is that he's then at some point replaced by uh, by his son and so there's a a male dominated you can call it a town or tribe because i'm a big fan of that traditional meaning of it because then a matriarchy is you know and you've seen this in, in different parts of society you have the opposite of that you have a strong mother figure or, as opposed to the father figure and it also transcends down um, through through family ties. Well, a, a bit more of a modern definition of patriarchy, which is the one you applied, differs from that a little bit. Exactly, and that is fine. So um, I think that from a practical, sociological and international perspective, we take that experience, that pater, father that you mentioned, and take it broader at, as a society where men dominate within basic power structures, whether they're political, financial, whatever. But... That is okay as long as we have that conversation and we agree on what we are actually talking about because then we can continue the conversation. And yet what happens here with this interview is that Jordan Peterson aggressively models the water, muddies the waters. He, he no longer um, wants to have a clear definition. He tries to basically now make the argument of um, oh, but patriarchy then is tyrannical, is a tyrannical structure. And then in the end, the end result of that kind of line of thinking is um, as long as um, as long as the male gets knocked down 
and we've got a 50-50 balance in society, according to you, everything will be all right. That's the, that's the path that he's leading. That only happens because he's not trying to connect to the understanding of the interviewer. He's not trying to understand how to have a productive conversation. He just wants to make a point. Namely, the moment you go after patriarchy is the moment that you are making much, much bigger claims than you are allowed to. What makes it a patriarchy to begin with? Is it the hierarchical structures? Is it the fact that it's mostly men? Is it the sociological structure? Or is it the fact that it's mostly men? Well, I think that's really interesting because male primary school teachers, for example, only 15% of them are men. And I interviewed mm. some of them for my book. And you know what? They report exactly the same things that women do in male-dominated offices, right? They say, people have conversations that I feel excluded from. I feel stigmatized, like I shouldn't be here. People look at me askance when I say I'm a primary school teacher and I'm a man. You know, they kind of reel back. We all make those implicit associations. So, and so if, it is, if it is a structure that's dominated by women, then it's also a tyrannical patriarchy. I think in that case, then men have a, a way they should be able to complain about the fact that a very female-dominated office leaves them feeling out too, yeah, feeling left out so too. So how do we get something that isn't a tyrannical patriarchy? If it's composed of women, then it's a tyrannical patriarchy, and if it's composed of men, it's a tyrannical patriarchy. We're kind of out of options. Right, but, well, or you could have a blend, an office in which a blend of people of both so sexes So if it's 50-50, then it's not a tyrannical patriarchy. No, not 50-50. I'm saying that people... 40-60. I'm saying that so there is clearly, when it is only 15% of male primary school teachers, they do feel marginalised and excluded. So, so you think the ha defining hallmark of a tyrannical social structure is the predominance of one gender, and if that was, if that was relatively equalised, then all of a sudden it would be a free and an no. open institution. I Right, so this is exactly it, right? So trying to twist the words, the, the basic definition that she applies would be the uh, definition that I apply, but you can have an agreement or disagreement on that, but you have to have that conversation. She says, look, if you have a situation where there's one group that dominates the other group and it's harder for the other group to actually be heard, to be seen, to make progress, then you've got a problem. In this case, we're talking about male dominance in certain parts of the world. He goes and takes it into a completely different direction, which doesn't make, again, any analytical sense, because obviously he understands what she's talking about, but he is just trying to imply a oversimplified narrative from the other side, which is really sad because a proper conversation about the role of male figures, female figures, patriarchy, matriarchy, all those kinds of things is very useful for society but for that you have to want to connect to the other person which is obviously something he doesn't want to do here because there's not a real intellectual basis for these claims he's not trying to connect to the other person and over complicating simple ideas um, using a lot of very intelligent sounding words speaking in a very i mean he's, he's a great public speaker and all of that is basically leading to a non-conversation on an issue in society that is not important enough, you know, when you look at the bigger pictures that they are, of the bigger conversations that the Western society should have to, to strengthen itself. Right, and, and what makes it even worse from what you often see with Jordan Peterson and others like that is that the moment you call them out on that, for example, he tries to make it into absolutes and she says, look, I don't see it as an absolute. It's not absolute evil or absolute good. I just know it's a general problem and I would like to talk about that. And the moment that you were to say, well, 
um, what makes you, Jordan Peterson, turn this into black and white absolutes? Then he will answer with something like, well, it depends what you mean with absolute. It depends what you mean with this. You mean He doesn't actually take accountability for his actions or for his words, right? So it becomes this... It becomes this sentiment, an emotion, rather than an analytical process. You can't pin him down. It's impossible. I mean, I've seen this in because, and here I want a lot of sympathy for from the listeners for us because we had to watch hours of Jordan Peterson uh, to kind of understand him, look through him, and he does this all the time. It's impossible to pin him down. He doesn't. He he makes an argument, if you can count call it that. Uses a lot of words, a lot of very smart sounding words is very vague in that, doesn't take responsibility for what he says, always kind of wiggles himself out of situations, and it's impossible to pin him down, and therefore it's impossible to have a real intellectual conversation about this. And which is one of the reasons why it is so frustrating that he gets so much credit from society, and why very serious people spend time debating him. And this is also why we had the conversation, do we want to have an episode on him? Because we're now putting him out there once again, where we're giving him more space for people to listen to him. Um, now, I'm sure that our, <laughs> our audience is, is nothing compared to the audience that he already has. So I don't think that we're actually damaging the world here. But this is a real problem, right? Someone who can't be pinned down, who speaks in terms of emotions rather than rational analysis, who hides the lack of content behind complexity and a complexity that is impossible to penetrate because every time you try to dissect it, he goes in a different direction and adds a new layer of complexity. Um, those kinds of people are great for populist movements. They are not good for actually understanding the challenges we face at society, as, a, as a society, certainly not as a liberal Western society. Because one of the consequences of this is that because you can't pin him down, you can't prove him wrong, if you want to say it that way, that means that he's always right. And this leads to something, and this is almost going away from the bubble into the next category already. This leads to him having a large following of, of well, it's mostly young men, um, who defend him violently almost. Well, I mean, when I say violently, I mean very with very strongly worded on the internet, um, creating a lot of little videos about him. Um, you, you know what, while we're talking about, let's, let's just move into the next category. And can you explain to our listeners what is the problem? Um, because this is one of the one of the main one of the main damages is there are a lot of videos because when you Google his name Jordan Peterson, there's a lot of videos that will pop up called, and I quote here um, Jordan Peterson destroying woke liberals for 14 minutes straight. The next one Jordan Peterson obliterating trans activists compilation, and the last one. Jordan Peterson, progressive student, was left speechless on sex. Uh, what he said was brilliant. So you have someone who can't really be proven wrong because of the tactics that we just outlined. People mistake that for the Messiah or, wow, what intelligent words, we shall follow him. And then kind of turning that into a toxic aspect of, oh, everyone who goes up against him is, and might also not be on his uh, on his level when it comes to public speaking, is destroyed and is wrong and is terrible and is an idiot and is the woke, whatever woke means, left. That's exactly it. And at the very foundation basis of all of this is this anger that this group of supporters feels about the world. It's an anger 
that comes from insecurity, that comes from feeling threatened by a changing world, that comes from sort of the American dream, the Western dream being shattered um, in many ways, man no longer ruling the roost in the way they used to, and here comes this man who seems to be way more intelligent than all of his followers, seems to, because I, you know, again, it's a lot of smoke that comes out of his mouth, but... Um, and these people then feel that they finally have someone to worship and to follow again, to take us back to a time that actually never existed, but in their minds, when everything was better, when, 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 when the male dominated society in the way that the male should dominate society from their perspective. Which, by the way, is one of those things that um, I think is, is another main problem, is asking ourselves the question, why do so many young men in particular follow him and why do they feel like he's filling something in their lives um, because it's 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 very similar to donald trump i mean when, when we're criticizing donald trump and we're usually criticizing him as a symptom rather than as a root cause of all these troubles within the western world it's the same with jordan peterson is that he is not he's not the reason why the west is currently not performing well but the fact that he's so popular and the fact that he speaks to so many young men I think is very telling of the real problems that we have in society is that there has to be something that the again we've, we've talked about this a lot in the past that you know all these managerial attitudes have caused that there are some real underlying problems that have not been solved that these young men are facing and they're turning towards jordan peterson because he's giving them an as he said an easy a populist way of maybe not having to take accountability despite this being what Jordan Peterson preaches, that you have to take accountability for yourself. And, and those problems those problems are real. I mean, Jordan Peterson's uh, own attitude often when someone tries to point out that women don't have it easy, in even in the 21st century, then he says, oh, but you've got it better than uh, most people for the past 10,000 years. <laughs> of course, that is true for everyone. I mean, life now is better than it was 500 years ago. It's better than it was 2,000 years ago. It's certainly better than it was 10,000 years ago. Um, but it is true that there are real problems in society that men are facing. And those are not just um, problems related to the economy, related to jobs, but also related to who they are, because things have changed very quickly, sociologically, psychologically. There are a lot of certainties, psychological certainties in the past for men that are no longer there. Now, I would argue that any rational human being would understand that in itself the change is a very positive and good change, but that doesn't mean that there aren't some problems associate, associated with that change that requires us to deal with, that requires us to think about. Okay, so what does this to the male brain that has been trained for all these years, all those generations to think in a certain way, and now they have to think differently? How can we facilitate that? How can we manage that? That is fine. Unfortunately, that is not the kind of conversation that Jordan Peterson wants to have. He wants to have a conversation where his worshipping followers feel that they're being understood and where they can become aggressive and violent, at least verbally, against those who go against them. And if you ask me, this is one of the main problems, is that, again, him filling up the space in society and having these conversations draws attention and draws capacities away from having those real conversations. And then again, he is, I mean, I think you've called him a charlatan in the past um, because he doesn't have the answers to those real problems. And once he gets confronted with these real problems, so for an example, inequality or the environment, 
Um, that's the moment when you can then, you, I think this gets most exposed. And this is one of the next uh, clips we want to play. This is uh, Jordan Peterson on um, ABC, which is uh, the Australian Public Broadcast. Um, and it's a, it's a panel discussion with interaction from the audience. And uh, so what we will be playing now is someone from the audience asking a question and um, Jordan Peterson answering this. And this question is very much focused on the big problems in the world. And she's asking him by, okay, people are supposed to take individual responsibility. That is what he preaches. How is this solving any of these big questions? And let's see how much of an answer he has to these big questions. So what is your advice to young people when you talk about you need to be individually responsible, but when there are things that are so far out of our control, like climate catastrophe, like the precarious job economy, like you know, the They're economic crisis, what, what, is, you what, is, what is your answer to you people think that who are you're facing these than questions? Your, do you think that you're worse off than your grandparents? I think there are different challenges. Do you think you're worse off than your grandparents? Uh, Jordan, once again, we're not going to cross-examine our <laughs> questioners. Uh, so try answering the question about collective responsibility on climate change, for example. Pick, pick one part of that, uh, because the argument, I think, is that individual responsibility does not change um, the climate, does not fix the problem that needs global collective responsibility. So I think that's the core of the question. Do you have a, a theory about that? Well, fundamentally, I'm a psychologist. And if we stop here, so if he stops here, I'm a psychologist and I don't have an answer on these big, on these big, big questions, I think that's perfectly fine. Because if you ask me about psychology, oh, so what's the reason for this male trauma and so on, I will tell you, I've studied international relations, so I'm going to pass this question on to a psychologist. But he, he doesn't do that. And I mean right before when interacting with that woman, you see what his tactic there is. It's very much this like cross-examination of, oh, you asked a really big, complex question. And let me tell you that, hey, you're living better than your grandparents 80 years ago, uh, so you should be grateful. Well, fundamentally, I'm a psychologist. And my experience has been that people can do a tremendous amount of good for themselves and for the people who are immediately around them by looking to their own inadequacies and their own flaws and the things that they're not doing in their lives and starting to build themselves up as more powerful individuals. And if they're capable of doing that, and then they're capable of expanding their career. And if they're capable of expanding their career and their competence, then they're capable of taking their place in the community as effective leaders. And then they're capable of making wise decisions instead of unwise decisions when it comes to making collective political decisions. I'm not suggesting in the least and have never suggested that there's no domain for social action. I'm suggesting that people who don't have their own houses in order should be very careful before they go about reorganizing the world, which happens in many ways. So if I've understood this correctly, if people have their own lives in order and if they just focus on themselves, then they become very capable and that's going to solve the climate crisis. Because capable individual human beings will make more, I don't know, better society decisions and society becomes more capable and therefore we solve the climate. I, again, I'm generally asking what was his solution to that? What was his answer to her question? Yeah, so the, the problem is that it's a non-answer. It is not specific enough to have any real value. 
he likes to go on about uh, this idea of personal responsibility. And who likes personal responsibility, by the way, as general, those people who, who have a relatively easy time within society, right? So you can um, absolutely see how uh, personal responsibility is something that the white man connects to. The idea of take personal responsibility, make sure that you have your life in order, that you have your own house in order. And um, that will then allow you to influence the rest of the world. Well, yeah, that is true for this white male in a patriarchal society. It is not necessarily true if you are a slave in the 19th century or if you're a woman in the 18th century. You can have your own psychology and life completely in order and you're still not going to go anywhere because you've got obstacles within the patriarchy. Um, the... The answer of get your own life in order, in order to then somehow in, in some future 30 years down the line influence policymaking is, of course, insanity. Some things requ require personal responsibility. Other, other things require group action, common solutions to problems that aren't down to any individual in particular, but are down to social dynamics cultural dynamics, economic dynamics. And he kind of pays lip service to it, but he seems to vaguely suggest that the only thing you should do is have your own house in order. Um, just be responsible for your own life and everything will be fine, which is, of course, complete nonsense. If a young person believes that the uh, climate, the global warming, um problem on the climate is something that needs to be tackled quickly and they can't wait until they grow up and become prime ministers to do it. Do, do you think collective responsibility overrides individual responsibility in a huge issue like that? No. <laughs> okay. I don't. First of all, without the audience, this doesn't work. Um, so he relies on the fact that people thought this was entertaining. And he relies on the fact that some people in the audience agree with him and therefore they're clapping. I mean, I'm not a big fan of having discussion groups with uh, an audience there anyways, because it just becomes a popularity contest of who can say the, the funniest pun or the, make the clearest point and then get a lot of attention for that and a lot of applause because it doesn't further the discussion culture in that, in that room. And this, if, if there's only the five people on the panel in there and he says no, he appears like an idiot. I'm not a big fan of this applause situation. Uh, and again, it's people who applaud him who somehow emotionally connect to the vague message that he's sending out. It cannot be a connecting with the actual analysis because there is no real analysis there. there and that's where I get frustrated when I see serious minds, serious thinkers talking to Jordan Peterson. Um, what he has is a following that feels supported by his words but the, the key word here is feels because the actual analysis doesn't support anyone the actual analysis doesn't have that content but people feel connected and therefore they start applauding therefore they start laughing because they're on team jordan peterson they're in the jordan peterson tribe um, and that is something that can be very very damaging especially combined with what you mentioned earlier about the very violent use of words that, that YouTube and other uh, websites are prone to nowadays, where we are talking about destroying feminists or um, um, obliterating the woke elite or whoever else we want to apparently assault. 
in a huge issue like that? No. <laughs> okay. I don't. Okay. I, I think that generally, I think that generally, I think that generally people, I think generally people have things that are more within their personal purview that are more difficult to deal with and that they're avoiding and that generally the way they avoid them is by adopting uh, pseudo-moralistic stances on large-scale social issues so that they look good to their friends and their neighbors. So this is then again very telling of that entire argumentation. Um, and I don't... Uh, see, this, this is the part when I get now annoyed uh, that we have to record this episode, that we have to deal with him, because there's so many stupid things this man says that should not that, that, that should not be given att any attention to. Yeah, and stupid, before listeners get upset with us, stupid not in the sense of that we don't agree with his analysis or we see flaws with the analysis, but stupid in the sense that there is no actual real analysis to, an to, to observe. So there... It's perfectly all right that you analyze a specific topic and that I've got a different analysis. And that is, uh, Dario, I feel that you're making a mistake here. You're misrepresenting this specific fact or you're misrepresenting this link between fact number one and fact number two. Or your foundational bias is shining through. That is the kind of conversation that is useful. But with Jordan Peterson, that conversation cannot be had. There is because there is no path to follow. There is no structure to actually critique positively or negatively. And the result is that it fills an emotional void that his army of worshippers has that then turns into a very aggressive and, and, and very damaging, destructive movement about very important issues and very complex issues. And it drowns out serious, calm constructive conversation that we we are required to have if you want to get anywhere in the next hundred years or so. And what now? So when we're talking about where we're getting in the next 100 years, then what is the future? So what what should we be doing instead of listening to him and, and us talking about him? I assume it's talking about some other intellectuals that aren't necessarily having those conversations in the in the public sphere um, that we'll talk about where should the West go and how will we deal these very real top uh, well topics and the very real problems that we have analyzed in the past well 40 something episodes um, that the West is facing yeah so what's very interesting is that the identity crisis that the West is going through as a whole, um, the decay in the West and the lack of purpose and the lack of vision that we have towards the future is in parallel uh, visible in an identity crisis with respect to the individual within society, right? The individual also no longer knows what they're... And that's not just a white man. That is, people in general in the West find it very difficult to explain what their purpose is in life. Um, religion is no longer as powerful. Religion gave purpose, right? Gave sense. Religion is no longer as uh, as dominant within society. Uh, for a while, it seemed that liberalism could fill that void, but now it can't anymore. So people are in this, in this continuous struggle of who am I, where do I want to go? And the result is that what people want from public speakers is comfort. They want to be comforted. They want to feel recognized they want to 
feel that someone understands how they are the victim. In the case of Jordan Peterson, how the, the white male is the victim of, of the woke, destructive, sneaky forces. But there are lots of other types of victimizations that exist in, in Western society. And that emphasis on how we feel, on me not feeling respected, on me not feeling recognized, is incredibly destructive because feelings cannot substitute rational analysis, rational choices, rational understanding. And that uh, there's a lot of kindness in rational understanding. And what with uh, that I mean, if you have a different perspective from me and we rationally analyze that and we see where the differences are, then that is you being kind to me and me being kind to you. We try to see how we can find a logical path forward despite our differences. The moment it becomes emotional, the moment it becomes about me demanding respect, I become aggressive and I become a fighter against your reality rather than trying to bridge our mutual realities through analysis and rational discourse. It is about being comforted by words that make us feel good, but in the long term actually damages any possibilities for society to move forward. So the answer to your question is, Let's go back to rational discourse and do not emotionally attach yourself so much to that rational discourse. Do not, do not expect from a public speaker to make you feel good. Expect from a public speaker to provide you with insights that you can use to develop yourself and society in a productive way. This seems like a great moment to end today's conversation on Jordan Peterson. If you have any questions, comments, or regards, make sure to send us an email to thewesternbubble at gmail.com and we will try to incorporate them in our following episodes. Thank you very much to the listeners for joining us today. Make sure to join us again next week when we burst the Western bubble. That is it from my side, Balder. Which closing quote did you pick for us today? We decided to take a quote from um, his that is actually one of his 12 rules of life that he uses uh, in his book, which is fully called... Dario. 12 rules for life, an antidote to chaos. An antidote to chaos. I do not have it on my bookshelf, I'm afraid. Um, and uh, it is actually something that I hope that he can apply a little bit more often to his own behavior. And uh, it goes, be precise in your speech. <laughs>